What the fuck is up? Welcome back to the third episode of the Untypical Podcast. I'm your host Vishakan. So this episode, this fucking episode, I've got a dominatrix by profession on the podcast. So now I'm going to assume that y'all already have a picture in mind and that picture is fucking 50 shades of grey. Yeah, yeah, I know I know y'all are thinking of 50 shades of grey right now. But I urge you all to keep an open mind while you listen to this podcast and kind of remove any other beliefs you have about anyone being a dominatrix. Forget the whole beating, whipping, uh whatever the fuck is going on in your mind, forget all of it. I have a bunch of beliefs about this fetish that I most probably have wrong as well. I'm most probably wrong about everything I think about this fetish. But I know for a fact that I'm going to clear this by the end of this conversation. And I'm going to make sure that all these misconceptions are cleared by the end of this conversation. Because I think that being a dominatrix is about, you know, beating and stuff and I'm I'm fairly sure I have all that shit wrong. So please listen to this with an open mind and let's call her right the fuck now. Hi, uh how are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh so welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. No problem. Uh so I'm just going to jump right in. And mm-hmm. uh so what exactly is a dominatrix? How would you define a dominatrix? I would define a dominatrix as a fantasy woman, someone in your head that you know you can't have, but you can have it for a moment i guess so what what exactly does a dominatrix entail what exactly goes on during a session with a client well that's a little tip- difficult to answer because it all depends on the client let's say i have a puppy a human puppy for that it would i would just treat them as a dog there's no difference with it being a human there's no difference treating them as a puppy no difference is they can't actually wag a tail but i'll feed them in a bowl i'll pet them i'll make them do tricks i even put them in cages oh so a uh, dominatrix isn't just uh, limited to you know the usual uh, whatever they portray to the public with 50 shades of gray with just whips and paddles it's it's a it's a range of things <laughs> yeah 50 shades of gray was not accurate at all oh okay cuz that's that that's the idea of you know being a dominatrix in my head just the whole whipping and the paddles and the hitting and the BDSM and stuff but no, it's so actually whatever like a client that. wants so mm-hmm. whatever a client wants you'll you'll provide that depends it is. on the limits we both have sometimes they want to be a puppy sometimes they just want to be ignored sometimes they just want to be furniture which is a newer newer one they just want to be put down and I'll place things on them and use them as a table or a footstool Okay so uh do you have any boundaries regarding what your clients ask you for do you have you ever had the chance to say no i i can't do this i'm sorry yeah of course we've all said no before uh one of my boundaries is penal insertion it's where we put metal rods maybe plastic it's mostly metal rods inside your penis that can cause very permanent damage and i'm not practiced with that to actually yeah, do it that, yeah that that sounds like it hurts yeah 
Yeah, so, <laughs> so when when did you first uh, get into the whole business uh, of being when did it first start? Well, professionally, I've been a dominatrix for two, three years now, but I've been doing it for five. I just only started getting paid for it. I, you, it, It's usually how it happens. You start dating someone and you realize nothing's really happening for you. So I met another guy who liked to switch and, mm-hmm. and I topped him and that's how it all started. Oh, okay. So uh, you are a dominatrix by profession and you also enjoy it in your everyday normal life? Of course, that's how you get into it. You have to enjoy it. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. I've I've heard that uh, it's it's a profession for for so some dominatrixes, but mm-hmm. when they go so- home, when they go home, they prefer it to you know just have vanilla sex, no BDSM, nothing. Just you know, because then it's just work all the time, right? No, it's never worked for me. It can be for some dominatrixes as you get older, maybe. If you've been into it for maybe over five, six years, possibly, it can start just becoming a job and you don't want to deal with it outside of work. But I got into it because I enjoy it. I get off on it, too. We may not be having sex with my clients, but I do enjoy it when I go home and see my boyfriend. So how how does being a dominatrix by profession affect your dating life? Well, obviously, some guys don't want to (laughs) date a dominatrix. (laughs) Very intimidating, obviously. Yeah, but uh, does it affect it as much? If you meet open-minded people, they they don't care because we're not having sex with our clients. Remember that it's mainly just like maybe an hour or two. I'm with these people and we have fun together, and then I will go home to my boyfriend. So, what's the farthest you can possibly go with being a dominatrix? If there's no sex involved, what is the farthest you go? Whereas you know, sexual intimacy is concerned. I'll hold them. A lot of them need it after a session. I'll hold them in my arms. We could both be naked at the time, but I'll hold them for as long as they need me to. So uh, do you look at this as just another job? Is it like just, you know, working at a, at a retail store or does it kind of feel different to you? <laughs> of course not. <laughs> it's not the it's same. Just, okay. It's completely different. I actually enjoy it. My other job, I'm also a bartender. But right. with, with both of them, I enjoy it. If I'm not enjoying what I'm doing, I, I quit. So so this is just a part-time job? Mm-hmm. It's a part-time, but it's like full-time because you have to talk to your clients throughout the day. I'm not one of the dominatrices that actually like just split. If I have a client and I see once a week, I'll get in touch with them throughout the week. Or they'll try to get in touch with me through like an email. Some actually have my phone number. And some actually have sent me letters appreciating what I've done for them. It's a constant communication, so it's not even oh. part time. It's full time. So it's it's what gets personal. It's not just uh in that room. It it goes way outside that room as well. It does. I've been invited to weddings from my clients. Oh wow. Okay. So yeah. uh, is there a point where it goes too far? You know this this kind of how personal it gets. Did they ever like get too close? Is it ever uncomfortable for you? There was one that broke into my apartment, so I stopped bringing clients to my home. When I was away, he broke into my apartment and just put on my underwear, took some things. The only reason I found out was because I walked in on him sleeping in my bed. Oh, wow. And what, what did you do after that? What did he, how did he react to you finding him? <laughs> he got scared, but obviously he went back into the submissive mode and I, got, I kicked him out. I didn't call the police because he's harmless. I just couldn't work with him. He, the, his obsession for me grew a bit more. It, 
it can get very dramatic because they open up and there's a lot of trust. I've been proposed to many times for my clients, but I know it's just they're in that headspace because they, they put so much trust in me. So I mean, I've heard there's something called subspace. Is, is, am I right? Is it called subspace? Yes. Where they enter this kind of zone of being a submissive individual? Mm-hmm. So yes. what, what exactly is that? It's, uh, it's hard to explain, especially if you're not in it. And it's just a, a part of your mind where you completely and ultimately give up yourself to someone else. And it's just kind of like a high. And you just continuously ride that high while you're with that person. And nothing else matters in the moment except for obeying. Oh, okay. So why, why do you think people uh, get into the whole... Why do you think people start to like dominatrixes in the first place? What, 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 like, because not all individuals are inclined towards uh, being submissive, right? So what mm-hmm. pushes, what pushes a few people towards being submissive and like being put down or, I don't know, degraded? The biggest reason I get for my clients is an escape. A lot of my clients are professionals. They have professional jobs. I've seen them oh. work. It's. Some of them are brokers. I have one that's, um, he's a judge. So it's kind of just an escape from all the other commands from people. And they could just do what someone else tells them to do instead of asking. It's more of getting away from like a God center. You'll get, if you ask a lot of matrices, you'll get doctors, judges, people that have somebody else in their hands. Because I've heard that uh, usually people who are in positions of power uh, like to also, you know, while they're at home, like to be submissive to dominatrixes because they spend all day at work being in a position of power. So when they get to the whole sexual intimacy part of it, they like to be submissive. Is that how it is? Do you get like a lot of people in power? Yes, I do. It's a breather. A lot of the people I work with, they have so much responsibility that they need a break and I'm their break. And again, I do get people that are just submissive in their everyday life that are submissive in their sexuality. It's it's more of just who you are. It doesn't, not everybody can be submissive. Obviously, I can't be submissive. I'm not a switch. It's just hard for me. I can't submit to someone else. It, and I think it's very brave when you can. Yeah, I agree. Because uh, I, I feel like it's very hard to put yourself in such a position of being so vulnerable to someone else. Mm-hmm. Oh, exactly how it is. I, I have another question. So uh, people kind of look down upon the whole dominatrix thing because they feel like it's a scary thing you know, being beaten and, you know, being put down, being degraded. Uh, why do you think people, why do you think people have that idea about it? Because they just don't get it or what? what is it? They don't get it. A lot of movies portrayed as just that. Uh, if you look through my media, I'm more of a nurturing dom. I don't have to tell you that you're disgusting every single day. It's, that'll just get old eventually. <laughs> but what you do is, is just accepting who you are. Like some people can't become and some people can't get into BDSM. It's just not their thing. But they always have this head, like this thing in mind that BDSM is just beating. You'll see blood yeah. and everything. Sometimes my, my clients, they never bleed. I don't have to make them bleed unless they really want me to. And I can make them cry. I've had clients who I've made cry before. It's just for their moment. But afterwards, there's always a touch of vulnerability where the dom or their master is in control and they have to bring them back out of that. So it's kind of just about being yourself, right? Being yourself with somebody who you're not afraid of being able to be vulnerable with someone. Cause we mm-hmm. all want that, right? We, we all want that one person to be vulnerable with. The most closest relationship you could have. Cause there's so mm-hmm. much trust. In- 
so much vulnerability. Of course, I told you I've been proposed to. It's just yeah. a relationship that you're so not used to in your everyday vanilla life. So how do people? How do you get your clients to trust you in the first place? Because when they first walk in, it's kind of hard to trust someone the minute you see them, right? So how do you of get course. them to trust you? It's more of just me talking to them. I will talk to them as like I analyze the client when they come in and they'll send me all their information. Usually they'll just send it to my email and they'll send me money. Of course, obviously I won't respond unless you pay because there's so many people that will send me an email every day and then they don't pay. And then that's just wasting my time responding. But what I do is once we, once they pay, there's a trust where I like, okay, I know that they're serious about what they want to do. And they send me an email about themselves. I always ask for some personal information. Not, not, it will never be their name. It will never be about their family. It'll just be about themselves, what they like and everything. So I already have this information. And then I'll meet with them in person. And I'll try to build that friendship. It's always a friendship before or just a client-based thing. If they can't trust me, we can't work together. Oh, have you ever had a client uh, expose something so personal about themselves that it's it's kind of made you feel uncomfortable? No, there's really nothing that surprises me anymore. I've had people ask for so many things. I'm just not surprised. No, but like uh, exposing something about something they've done, maybe because uh, when you get some, when you get them to trust you, they kind of look at you as someone they can say anything to, right? Yes, so pretty much. Have you I'm ever sure. had a client who's right. just said something so outrageous about themselves that you've kind of been a little taken aback? Hmm, let me think. Mm, I don't think so. No one said something so surprising. Uh, maybe ask if I could be a surrogate to their wife if they since they didn't have children, but I couldn't do that. That's just too close. Wow. So they actually get that, you know, up close and personal with you. You get them to trust you that much that they're willing to let you be a surrogate to their child. Yes, I've met families. Wow. They've invited me. Obviously, they invited me to weddings. They invite me to family functions. I get close to the family. Most of the time, the wife knows about me. Wow, and, and she's okay with it? Yes, sometimes in that relationship, the wife can't provide what I can because they're not comfortable with it. Some women can't do it. Some men can't do it, obviously. So they have to find someone or that relationship will just crumble. I've had relationships crumble before. So what kind of clients do you get? Do you get like mostly married men or single men or what kind of men do you get? Hmm. It's a toss up. It happens every once in a while. You you get one or you'll get the other. There's no really, there's no big distinction. Okay. So uh, what what is the age range that you usually work with? Do you get like younger guys or do you usually get like middle-aged guys or older guys? I never tell anyone under 21. Oh, so twenty one's like the limit, but what's what's yes. the upper limit? Uh, and the age doesn't matter to me, not at all. I've gotten so many variety of ages. You just have to be twenty one to even speak to me, because I just feel you're not mentally prepared for it at a younger age. But when uh, older men come up to you, mm -hmm. have they have like has it have they ever been too old? <laughs> no, I've gotten someone that's about seventy. I just feel the generation before us was just so deprived. They weren't as open as millennials are nowadays. We get to experience everything while they were just so repressed in the old times because it was just so looked down upon. So I do get you, a lot you, of older ones, yes. 
Okay, so uh, do you ever get female clients or do you just, you know, restrict yourself to the male ones? Oh, I get female clients all the time. And, and do they, do they have the now. same mindset as the men do? They're a little bit more hesitant, actually. Because oh. as women, you are looked at as the sexual object already and then you're already, you're sucked into this bubble of what you should be. Always submissive or always this or always that. So it's very hard for women to accept something about themselves sexually because you don't talk about it. Women don't have a sexual nature in the media, it looks like. Or if they do, they're just sluts. So it's hard to look at it a certain way as a female. So how how do clients approach you? Like, how do they find you? Is it just word of mouth? You have a website. So how, how do they find that website? Usually they just Google it. I get looked up all the time. They will either find me on Twitter or they'll find yeah. my website. Or they'll just type in the name by accident and I pop up. That's happened to me before. Someone's typed in lady and then someone's typed in Dom and then that brought them to Lady Domina. It always happens like that. It just, they just kind of, they, they lurk, they stalk me for a little bit. Or uh, don't, you, have, don't you find that a little, a little creepy though when they lurk around, stalk you, kind of trying to figure out who you are? <laughs> Especially if they're new to this. Obviously, I told you I get a lot of new ones. But they, I let them look. It's fine. They, I've had a client pay me and then cancel on me, never ask for a refund, and then pay me again to do another session. Never shows up. It's just they're, they're so nervous. They're so scared to try something new, and they think they're going to be judged. So I just let them look. They have to be comfortable seeing me comfortable. So I, I get a lot of lurkers. <laughs> it's fine, especially on my Twitter. <laughs> Twitter's very so, big on my <laughs> So where does this all happen? Do you have like a special room or do you go to their house or how how does this work? Is it like a brothel-like thing or where, how, where does this go on? <laughs> Not at all. Like I told okay. you, they find me on Twitter, lady underscore Domina, and then they'll send me a message. Mainly they'll pay first. If they don't pay, I don't answer. Every once in a while, if I'm just looking and scrolling and bored, I'll answer. But most of the time, I just leave you in limbo until I actually see that payment. But uh, afterwards, once we meet up in person, we'll go to a public place. Most of the time, it's, a, it's like a coffee shop or a bar, somewhere where I'll know you'll be comfortable because it's a communal setting. And after that, we discuss session. I don't bring them to my place anymore. Obviously, I told you the sub that broke into my home. I don't mm-hmm. bring them back anymore. So sometimes we'll get a hotel. Sometimes I'll go to their place because they will be comfortable in their own home most of the time. And I'm safe because I have other Dom friends here in St. Louis that know where I am. <laughs> <laughs> and if they don't so want me there, if the hotel so are there like different hierarchies to dominatrixes like is there like a different level are there like higher yeah. dominatrixes and then lower dominatrixes who kind of no. the higher ones like inflict more pain and like is it like that no there's a certain dominant like everybody has their niche like sometimes we'll talk to each other if someone doesn't do something we'll send them to someone else there's no cattiness unless they're really bitchy but that's like any job you all work together some people want to come up more some people want to work together there's no no hierarchy like some people like i told you i don't do penis insertion so i just i just wanted to ask you what goes through your mind during an average session are you thinking of other things or are you like fully into the whole do you get into it or is it just another day at work for you mine is completely on the client if my mind's not on the client, then there's something wrong. So you get into it. It isn't just another day at work for you. 
No, if I feel that they trust me, that's where I get off on it. The trust. Okay, and this is an everyday thing. Yeah, sometimes I do it every day. Sometimes if I can't do a session, I'll get in touch with my client, make them know that I still care for them. Even though I beat them half to death, it's like, I still care for you. <laughs> do people also approach you online? Like, uh, they don't they don't want to meet you in person, but they want to do things online. Does, is that a thing? Oh, it's become even a bigger thing. Usually I would have to do a session all the time. I can't take a lot out of me because I would have to go places, get things. But now, now it's like people want to do it online. And they just, they are, especially the nervous ones, the nervous lurkers that lurked on me for like months on end. They finally approached me. They just want to start online and then eventually go into in-person sessions. How does it work online though? Because I feel like it, it, it's supposed to be a personal thing, right? It's supposed to be about gaining trust and uh, being vulnerable. How does that work online? How do you gain trust online? Well, they usually look at how consistent I am. Usually with lurking, they will lurk on my website. They will lurk on my Twitter. They'll try to find me. Some other. I've had a client try to find me through every aspect. It, it was so strange. She just wanted to know who I was. It was just so strange. But they, they lurk for ages. I have a sub now. He's on my Twitter. You'll see him. He lurked, me, he lurked on me for about two months before he even spoke to me. So have people... Uh come to you and approached you and had a session with you and then uh, kind of been like, no, this is this is not for me. I'm not into this. Has that ever happened? I've had a client who just wanted to try it. He was very confused about his sexuality. He didn't know what he was into. He was one of the undecideds. He just wanted to, he was one of the triers. He wanted to try to see what was going on. He tried different, he did about four sessions with me, all completely different. He was just like, you know what? I don't know. And then I didn't hear from him for maybe three years. And then out of the blue, he came back and said, hey, I finally know what I like. Oh, okay. So does sexuality play a part in this? Like uh, being straight or being uh, gay? Does, does any other thing play a part in this? It can help. Some people like to have a male if they're gay. But I've gotten gay clients before as well where they're not sexually attracted to me because they're gay. But they like what I do. So there's no sexual aspect attributed to this thing at all? Oh, there can be. Some people pick me because they think I'm attractive. Some people pick me because I'm black. <laughs> it's more <laughs> what you like. But it can. it's not always sexual. It's mainly just the headspace. You find the dom that you feel most connected to. Right. So uh, I was just hoping we could go, go over the weirdest request you've got. The weirdest one? And yeah, the weirdest request you've got. Nails. Yeah. Yeah, the nails. I would take nails and a hammer. And I, w- I have this wooden board that I would mm-hmm. cut out just for them. I have a sub that's a carpenter, so he makes these for me. I'll write the sub's name on it, and then I'll lay them out on it, spread their balls out, and then hammer each side with a nail. Oh, my God. It hurts the second time I hear it as well. So it, <laughs> it, it, so it really goes that far to maiming someone? Then they're completely okay with that? They, they want that. <laughs> they're the one that asks for it. I, okay, so... Uh, at the end of it, what do you think this whole uh, industry of being a dominatrix is about? Like the grassroots level. Is it just about gaining trust or is it about sex or what is it about? I think it's just trust and understanding. A lot of people do things because they don't feel like they've been understood. It can, there can be many misconceptions. I've had subs talk to me about how 
their girlfriends don't like they try to find a dom girlfriend so they can feel a little bit more comfortable and it just doesn't work sometimes like if you have this dynamic you're scared to ask a person when you shouldn't be scared you're scared to ask somebody you trust to do something for you that you're scared they're going to judge you for like how do you ask someone hey can you nail my boss to a wooden pillar (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of yeah i I get how that would be an uncomfortable conversation to have with someone yeah, they just want to find someone that's probably seen it. That's why people go to dominatrices. That's why it's never going to die. You want to go to someone that's probably seen it, probably been asked about it. Right. So you also mentioned to me that uh, people invite you to their weddings and people in relationships approach you as well. And mm-hmm. so why why do you think their partners are okay with this? Some like to watch. I have a couple I've known for about two, three years. They started dating. He told her what he liked. He was more comfortable. And she said no. But she did find out that she was a watcher, a voyeur, if you could say. She's a watcher. She liked to, she likes to watch me. They, they pay extra for it, for her to be in the room to see what I do. But she could never do it herself. Oh, so it isn't just limited. So it's not just a one-person session? Have you ever had, like, multiple people? At- yes, like a group. Some people like to, Some people like to be watched. They're called exhibitionists. And if they have a certain fetish, I can do that. And then I can invite other doms or other kink people into the, into the moment if they like to be watched. Oh, so, so you can incorporate like multiple fetishes in one? Mm-hmm. Sometimes we try to stick to one thing. But if they want to do different things, yeah. It's, if they're an exhibitionist, it's easier. You can just invite people along. And then we can do what they also wanted to do on the side. So, so do you have like a dominatrix community, like where you talk to other dominatrixes and stuff? Oh, of course. I have my local community and then I have my online community. We have groups. We talk about all of you stuff all the time. So, so what, what goes on in that community? Do you like meet and have like meetings and talk about your day and stuff? Oh, of course. We have munches. We have dinners. We even have play parties sometimes. Those are maybe once a month, maybe every two months. But we have munches almost every week. You, it, this community is built on trust. If you can't trust someone, then it's just not going to work. You know, I find it interesting that uh, I, I, before this conversation, I thought that it was more about the sexual aspect of it than it was about anything else. But now I'm realizing it's more about being vulnerable with someone and trusting someone else more than it's about the sexual aspect. Am I right when I say that? Yes, of course. Like I can beat someone to like they're black and blue, but they will always want to hug me afterwards. Sometimes they want to a moment away but they'll want to talk to me afterwards about it that's that's i feel like that's that's so great in in a certain sense to be able to be that vulnerable and trust someone mm-hmm. it's it's kind of like you're entering in a marriage when you go into a bdism relationship because you have <laughs> trust in that person i've had the the most dangerous thing i've ever done it wasn't the nails it was more of i put them in a body bag and i okay. tossed them in a tub of water wow okay so I mean, doesn't that kind of scare you? Like you might kill them? That was probably the most intense session I have, I've had because there was so much trust. And he was a bigger guy. So he trusted me to pull him out. I kept him under there for maybe 30 seconds before I saw movement. And I pulled him out. So there's that level of trust. They're ready to trust you with their lives. Yes, there has to be with that kind of thing. Water submersion is, it can be very dangerous. And and don't you ever get, don't you ever hesitate before doing such things? Like, you know, oh my God, I might mess up and then I have someone's death on my hands. 
We have classes there. If you join the community, there are classes that teach you like when needle play. I'm still learning that they have classes on needle play, knife play, water submersion. What I did because there aren't classes that you can really go to for that. What I did was I grabbed the heaviest object in my house, put it in the body bag and tossed it. And I would practice it for maybe 30, I think 30 times I practiced it before I allowed him to come in. So there's a lot of work that goes into this. It's not mm-hmm. just it's meeting not and then fun. doing. Yeah. Oh, so, so there's actually like schools for this? You attend classes for this and all of that? I take rope classes because I love rope bondage. I'm going to take knife and needle classes eventually sooner rather than later. I have one coming up in December, like late December. There are classes that teach you. They Safety is a big part of the BDSM community. Safety, communi- communication, and consent. So do you know someone uh, who's who's messed up in the past? I don't know anyone in particular, but you do hear the scare stories of uh, when people like asphyxiation, they like to, they like breath play. Some people mm-hmm. would probably do it on their own because sometimes they want to go further. Some people will take, like, you'll hear that scary story of someone hanging themselves because they were jerking off to it. Like right, breath yeah. play. Yeah. There are things that can go too far. This is why you need a partner. You shouldn't be doing these things alone. Okay. So uh, have you ever felt like, uh, oh, no, this is getting way too much. I need to cut this session short right now. No, I've never cut off the session, but I have taken breaks. Maybe like a few days where I would email all of my subs saying, hey, I just need a couple of days to myself. I'll get in touch with you once I'm done. They'll send me gifts and whatnot, thinking I'm like her, but I'm just like taking a vacation. <laughs> it's so just this like is, This is just a great to- job. This is just a great job all around. I do enjoy the gifts. I do enjoy the random money that's sent. Uh, the gifts that I get in the mail are precious. I've had subs make me equipment with their own hands, which is, is beautiful. So is this, uh, so is the dominatrix job how you support yourself? Or is it the bartending job? Or is it both? Oh, it's both. But bar- bartending makes so much tips. I'm just making money. It's fine. <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't be hurt if I lost either one. Okay, so your so your primary source of income is neither. They both contribute, and you can let go of either, and you'd still be okay. Mm, yes, if I let one go, I'd be fine. <laughs> you don't. It's not a joke because being a dominatrix, if you need it, then it doesn't become fun. It becomes actual. It becomes an actual job. Yeah. So when it becomes a job, you stop enjoying it. I believe so. Some people do it as full time, and I commend them because that just takes so much work. I do it part time and. Obviously, you see that I practice things. I go to classes. Some people do it full-time. That takes so much out of them. So, I mean, uh, most sex workers or escorts don't prefer coming out as a sex worker or an escort to their family and to their friends. What made you feel comfortable telling your family and friends? Uh, I think it just depends on the person. It's like, I can't compare it to coming out as like a sexuality, like, hey, I'm gay. Like, that would be completely different. This is more of like, I can change this. So it's completely different. Like, if I don't feel comfortable telling people, I can just stop. You can't just stop being gay. So I can't compare it to that. Yeah, it's more at, of, some time, at some point in time, you need to tell your family or your friends what you do, right? You don't have to. Some people can go their whole lives without letting people know. Some people oh. just don't want that kind of exposure. They just want to do it because they do it. They don't have, like, some people have, like, there's this misconception. It all comes down to how your family is. My family's a little bit, eh. They're like, oh, well. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. But they. No, that's that's interesting. And I'm never. I was never gonna have a regular job. Oh, so you knew from before that you weren't going to just be a desk worker. You were gonna move into something different. I've always had this urge to do something different, and I guess I chose the most the thing that's very different. <laughs> I mean, yeah, to say the least. So, uh, that that's that's all the questions I have. Uh, is there is there anything is there anything you'd like to say at the end of it? Just, Just anything to my viewers. Open about yourself. Don't hide from what you really want to try. At least try everything once. Be a trisexual. That 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 makes a lot of sense. Actually, I've never heard that before, but it makes sense to me. Yeah, just right. try everything to see if you like it. If it scares you, look it up, watch some videos, read about it, and then see if you really want to try it. If you don't, understandable. If you do, go for it. Yeah, yeah, that makes total sense. So, mm-hmm. um, thank you, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Oh no problem. I had fun. I love talking to people about it. People ask me about it all the time through emails. You can send me an email at ladydeminabai at gmail.com or just find my website or mm-hmm. my Twitter. If you have my name, you can find me anywhere. <laughs> right. So thank you so much. Yeah. No problem. Bye. Bye. Holy fuck. Okay, so I guess I had a whole bunch of things wrong about this fetish before I had this conversation with her. There's no sex involved in this at all, which I didn't know. I mean... I always thought that a fetish included the classic PNV at the end of it, but I was wrong as fuck. Also, if you think about this at the most basic level, without external factors, it's about trusting someone and being able to be the most vulnerable you have ever been. She mentioned uh, how people can't get like this with their partners, so they look to her for this level of trust and vulnerability. Because if you think about it. Trust is such a basic human need. So all of this is actually about trust and vulnerability more than anything else. So fuck you, Fifty Shades of Grey, and all the middle-aged women who enjoyed that fucking piece of shit book, because it's not about any of that shit. It's about trying everything you like, and just sticking with what you prefer, as long as you don't hurt anyone else in the process, of course. So I hope you enjoyed this, and thank you for listening.